Good morning. The first reading this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. The words will be on the screens behind me or feel free to follow along in your own personal Bibles or devices. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. The second reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, They are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Good morning, my name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. 
Back when I was at uh, Bible college, there were some pretty exciting things happening in the, in the wider world. There was a, a bit of a, a boom in Bible teaching kind of churches. There was a movement to start new churches. And in my year at Bible college, it was the biggest year that the college had ever seen. There was 130 of us. It was an exciting time. And I, I remember a lot of people at Bible college, a lot of the people I went through college with, they had their kind of ministry heroes. They had people who inspired them and um, people that they wanted to be like. So for some people, it was a, a guy called Tim Keller from New York. For others, it was a guy called Mark Driscoll from Seattle. And for others, it was, it was someone else. And they'd looked at these ministers as a kind of example for how they should approach ministry themselves. Now, Personally, I've never been much of a groupie, so I hadn't really heard of these people before I went to Bible college. And even when I was at Bible college, I didn't really know much about them. But in August 2008, Mark Driscoll was in Sydney on leave for a couple of months. And so he was invited to come and speak at my college. Now, you can see him up there, Mark Driscoll. He'd started a church called Mars Hill in Seattle, and by 2008 it had grown to eight different locations and they had thousands of of people there at church every Sunday have you heard of Mark Driscoll before a few okay someone wrote about Driscoll they said he was an evangelical bad boy who is hip yet hardline with a down-to-earth aggressive preaching style and while he was there at Moore College um he gave a bit of a critique of us. I I can't remember if he took it on his own back to critique us or if he'd been asked. But um, he thought he'd tell us what he thought of our approach to ministry. And basically he said, there are ministers who are really cool heretics. And then there are the boring Bible guys. And which one do you think we were? (laughs) The boring Bible guys, of course. But he said to us, there's a third option. There's the not quite so boring Bible guys. And he says that, he said to us, that's what we should be aiming for in ministry. That should be our approach in ministry. He said, it's not about making the gospel relevant, but it's about showing the relevance of the gospel. He said, it's not about being seeker sensitive so much as being seeker sensible. And he said it's about knowing the culture around us so well that we know it better than the business leaders and culture leaders and university lecturers around us. Now, like I said, I'm I'm not a a fanboy type, but I'm also not overly self-defensive or overly critical. And so I thought when he was there, he raised some really good points about how to approach ministry. But you know, almost exactly six years after he was with us, uh, in August 2014, do you know what happened to Mark Driscoll? They were seeing 12,000 people on a Sunday by that time. They were seeing churches being planted. They were seeing people coming to Christ. But for Driscoll, it all came crashing down. Because it turns out part of his approach to ministry was a culture of fear and abuse. His bad boy, down-to-earth, aggressive style wasn't just in his preaching, it turns out, 
Turns out that was his approach to all of ministry. That was his approach to people. That was how he treated people. It's easy for us you know, to kind of jump to conclusions in hindsight uh, and, and, and think that we know what must have been wrong with ministers like Driscoll and sadly there's others. You know, it's easy for us to conclude it must be his theology or his celebrity or the size of his church. But the truth is there's a problem that's much deeper than that. The problem with ministers like that is that their approach to ministry is not at all Jesus' approach. And we've been looking at, at 2 Corinthians in the Bible. And today we see Paul in his letter telling the church at Corinth the kind of approach to ministry that God loves. There's lots of things actually that we could say about this passage. But today we're just going to focus on three big ones that come out. First we see that real ministry is gentle but not timid. Then we see real ministry builds people up but demolishes pretension. And finally we see real ministry boasts in Jesus but not in self. So let's look at this first one. Real ministry is gentle but not timid. So look at, look at verse 1 again. Paul writes, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Do you see Paul's ministry approach here? His approach is is humility and gentleness. Now these days, we as a culture really actually value humble and gentle leaders. But in Paul's day, that was not at all the case. Paul's rivals in Corinth, they would have seen his approach as, as weak In the Roman world back then, humility was not at all seen as a virtue. In fact, many scholars say that the only reason our world today values humility like that in leaders is because of Jesus, because he's changed the world, changed how we think. The Corinthian church, they want impressive leaders. They're drawn to confident, cocky leaders. But Paul doesn't take his cue from leaders like that The shape of ministry for Paul has only ever been Jesus. And that means the shape of ministry for him can only ever be humility and gentleness. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. He comes for the unhealthy, for the sick. He he reaches out and, and he touches the leper, people that no one else would touch. He values the prostitute, people that no one else valued. He has time for children. The word used for humility here, it means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. But think about that. What kind of God is like that? Jesus, creator of worlds, eternal all-powerful, all-knowing. How can Jesus be toward us not overly impressed by a sense of his own importance? The word used for gentleness here means one who makes allowances despite facts that might suggest reason for a different reaction. But think about that. What kind of God is like that? Jesus Worthy of all glory and all praise. Jesus who'd be justified to be indignant 
furious at our ignorance and our incompetence, our insolence. But what's he actually like toward us? He makes allowances for us despite facts that call for a different reaction. We serve a humble, gentle master. That's the approach Jesus takes. So how should the servants of this master serve? Because Jesus has changed our world so much, we tend to think, of course, leaders should be humble and gentle. That should be natural. But that's not at all what comes naturally. What comes naturally in the workplace or even in churches is leadership that's flashy, that's selfish, that's bossy, that's pushy and aggressive. But what comes from Jesus is service that's humble and gentle. And that's Paul's ministry approach. Real ministry is humble and gentle. Real ministry is humble and gentle, but notice it's not timid. Because look again at at verse 1. Paul says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. Now what's going on here is is that the, the Corinthians are misinterpreting Paul's humility and gentleness as him being timid. They think he's scared when he's with them, but, it, but he finds courage when he's safely away from them at a distance. In other words, they think he's like an internet warrior. You know internet warriors? You know, they, they write tough, they sound big, but you never know behind the bold comments could be their mum telling them to get off the computer and clean up their room. That's how the Corinthians think Paul is. They misinterpret Paul's humility and gentleness as fear. But Paul's not humble and gentle because he's scared. And neither is he bold because he feels powerful and tough. What the Corinthians are missing is that Paul's humility and his boldness come from exactly the same place. He's kind of like a bear, like a mother bear. You know, the same instinct that drives a mother bear to be gentle with her cubs is is also the same instinct that drives her to be fearless when someone threatens them. But for Paul, it's not simply like a maternal instinct. He's driven by a gospel instinct. Paul is, is being like Jesus. You know, when the prostitute touches Jesus' feet, and washes his feet with her tears and then and dries his feet with with her hair. How is Jesus toward her? He's humble. He's gentle. But when the religious leader looks on with disgust at her and criticizes her and what she's doing, how is Jesus toward him? He's not timid. He's bold and he fights for her. He calls out the Pharisee's hypocrisy to his face in the Pharisee's own home, sitting at his own table. And he defends this woman for what she's done in front of them all. Real ministry is is gentle, but it's not timid. And so Paul says in verse 2 and verse 6, if necessary, he's going to be very bold with them, both in his letters and face-to-face with them. See, like... Jesus, Paul, is humble and gentle when he's personally despised or overlooked or when he's mistreated or even attacked. 
But when the message about Jesus is under attack, so that people's salvation is being threatened, that's when he's bold. That's when he speaks up. That's when he he comes in fighting. Now what this says to us today here is, is pretty straightforward, but it's challenging. It says, first of all, if, if I'm ever not humble and gentle with you as a minister, then I'm not serving Jesus properly. And it says that's not okay. You should call that out, you know, to my face if you can, but to the leadership team here if, if you don't feel like you can, or even maybe to my boss, Paul Harrington. Real ministry is humble and gentle, and that, that's true for me. It's true for Mark as well. It's true for Sally. And it's true for all our volunteer leaders too, our, our Sunday school leaders, our community group leaders, our ministry team leaders. We should all walk in Jesus' footsteps in humility and gentleness. And actually, it's true for every single one of us here. We should all walk in Jesus' footsteps in how we serve each other. And not just here but also in how we serve other people in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces as well. Real ministry is gentle. But like we've seen, real ministry is not timid. And so this says to us, also says, says to us, if I'm, if I'm ever timid as a minister, if I'm ever afraid to call out people that are harming you, or if I'm afraid to call out ways that maybe you're harming your own faith or harming other people's faith, then that's not okay either. That's not walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And again, it's, it's the same for our community group leaders and our ministry team leaders, and it's, it's the same for how we should all serve each other. We should serve with humility and gentleness, but also with courage. The next thing we see here about how to approach ministry is Paul tells us real ministry builds people up but demolishes pretension. Paul's not timid against those who destroy others. He comes in fighting, but obviously not with violence. He doesn't come in as a bully or controlling or even passive-aggressive. He says in in verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then in verse 5, we see how he comes in fighting. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's approach to ministry is that he holds unswervingly to the truth that it's all about Jesus. And as he holds to this truth, he demolishes every argument or arrogance that stands against Jesus. You know, fake ministers, they make it all about themselves. Fake ministers and ministries, they build up themselves. They're captivated by themselves. But real ministers seek to build people up by helping them to be captivated by Jesus only. These people that Paul's talking about, they make ministry personal. So they make a personal attack on Paul and they they question his ability and his impressiveness and they point to their own personal ability, their own personal impressiveness. But Paul knows real ministry is not about us at all and our personal ability. 
real ministry is all about the truth, not all about the person doing the ministry. It's because real ministry is all about one person, Jesus. Basically, attack Paul and you'll find he's humble and gentle. But attack the gospel, attack the people in Paul's care and you'll find Paul fearless and passionate and ready to do whatever needs to be done. And so he says in verse 6, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now we're not told exactly what he means by this, but it, it seems once the Corinthians come fully back to Jesus, Paul is ready to stand with them as they stand against these people who are trying to lead them away from Jesus. Probably ready to stand with them in saying to these people, you shouldn't be a part of this church family until you turn back yourselves to following Jesus. So we've seen real ministry is humble and gentle, but not timid. We've seen real ministry builds people up, but it also demolishes pretensions against God. And finally, we see real ministry boasts in Jesus, but not in self. Look at verse 12. Paul says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Now, it's not because Paul's scared that he's going to come off second best. It's because he says, when they measure themselves against, by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Some of these Corinthian leaders, they're comparing themselves to Paul, comparing themselves to each other. But Paul says in verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's not that Paul is, is down on what he does at all. And it's not that he, that he pretends that what he's doing is not worthwhile. It's just that he knows it's not all about him. It's all about Jesus. And so if we're, if we're going to play the, the game of comparing ourselves to other people, comparisons, then the person we need to compare ourselves to is Jesus. But if we understand the gospel, we understand just how ridiculous that would be. Because this is what Paul says the gospel says to us in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I mean, how can you hold out that message and boast about yourself? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. And boy, am I a good person that he saved. I am the best of the best. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how can you boast about Jesus saving sinners and boast in self? Real ministry can boast in Jesus only. Paul has no trouble boasting about his need for Jesus. He has no, boast, no trouble boasting in his task to take the message to others because none of that makes him look good. All of that makes Jesus look good. But what we'll see next week is that he has a lot of trouble in boasting in himself. He tries to do it in what comes next to, to argue a point, but he's really bad at it. He just can't, he can't bring himself to do it because he knows real ministry boasts only in Jesus. So we've seen real ministry is gentle and humble, but not timid. 
Real ministry builds people up, but it demolishes pretensions against God. Real ministry boasts in Jesus, but not in self. You know, at the time um, Mark Driscoll was visiting our Bible college, uh, the principal of the college, uh, a guy called John Woodhouse, you can see him up there, clearly um, a boring Bible guy in that picture. He was, um, he was writing a commentary on 1 Samuel, and I, I pulled it out this week and had a look at, at one little bit. And um, in that commentary at the start of one of the chapters, he, he writes about how exciting things, there was a lot of excitement at the college amongst the students, how there was a lot of people trying new approaches to ministry, church planning, stuff like that. This is in 2008. But then he, then he writes, should this give me hope? And then he says these words after that. One of my longings for each of these students is this. Without dampening their excitement or cooling their enthusiasm or quelling their delight in the work of God that appears to be happening, I pray that their hopes will be given deeper roots. I long that they will so know God and his ways that their joy will survive, no thrive even, when or if the numbers in church go into decline and the strategy turns out to be a failure and the church plant withers and the movement that may have inspired them seems to all appearances to be over. I long that they will so know God and his ways. Our approach to ministry should not be to, to look at other people around us and compare ourselves to the people around us or to look to celebrity ministers or churches. Our approach should be like Paul's approach, to so know God and to so know his ways that our church, our ministry is shaped by him, whether things are going well or poorly. And like we see from Paul here, this means in our approach we should be gentle and humble, but not timid. We should build people up and demolish pretension against God. We should boast in Jesus, but not in self. So we've seen three ways that, that Paul approaches ministry. There's, there's more we could see here, but there's three that stand out in this part. But I want to finish by just drawing out two really big things this means for us. First of all, I want to ask us, say, is this what we value in ministry? Is this what you value in ministry? This part of the Bible, it reminds us we should never value arrogance or brutality or harshness in ministry. We should value an approach. We, should, we, should, we shouldn't ever value an approach where a minister is self-confident or aggressive or smug. Or an approach that, that's quick to smash others down, whoever those people are. Now this might seem obvious, but I say it because I reckon part of the reason we loved Mark Driscoll was because he was willing to stand up and fight for what we felt was under attack. He looked like a boxer. He spoke like a boxer. And so I wonder, I wonder if we were willing to overlook the way he fought because of what we wanted him to fight for. Maybe those around him over there were willing to overlook the brutality for the greater good. But that should never be the case. Because real ministry is always in the shape 
of the gospel, always in the footsteps of Jesus, always humble and gentle. I think as we feel more and more like a minority in our culture, in our own country, we've got to be careful not to throw our lot in with the loud, aggressive kind of church or the loud, aggressive kind of leader that will make us feel safe in our beliefs because that's not real ministry. But at the same time, we also have to resist the temptation to throw our lot in with the church or the ministry or leaders that are only ever winsome and appealing who only ever say what we want them to say, who are too afraid to stand up to people, too afraid to confront people. We, we need to value both gentleness and boldness and we need to make sure we always have both together in our churches, in our ministries, in our leaders. Is that what you value in ministry? Sometimes I, I, I reckon what we want in a minister, what we want is someone who will be harsh to the people we find annoying the people who aren't pulling their weight or the people who seem to take forever to get their lives in order people who keep on tripping up with sin or keep having self-inflicted woes because of stupid decisions but again if, if we value real ministry then we shouldn't value harsh ministers who set people straight but at the same time if we set ourselves up against the knowledge of God, if we make choices that set our lives on a path that defies Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and if we walk down a path that endangers other people's walk with Jesus, if we value real ministry, we shouldn't value the minister who keeps peace at the expense of obedience to Jesus. Do you value a church and a minister who's bold enough to call you out if you're opposing God that's the first big thing I just want to draw out the second big thing I want to draw out from Paul's approach to ministry is that his approach to serving Jesus has heaps to say to how we approach serving Jesus now Paul's an apostle and none of us are uh, but every follower of Jesus is called to be involved in ministry we we all minister, we're all servants. And so like Paul, we should serve in ways that are humble and gentle, but not timid, that build people up, but demolish arrogance against God, that boast in Jesus, but not in ourselves. Is that how we serve in our ministries? Are you a Sunday school teacher, or a community group leader, or a parent, or a ministry team leader, or, or a volunteer Wherever you served, do you do it with, with humility and with gentleness, but also with the courage to urge people to do what's right? And whether people are being fair to you or unfair, does your heart stay the same that your desire is to see people built up? You're not driven by them liking you, not driven by them thinking you're doing a good job, not driven by whatever path gives the least resistance, but driven by what builds people up into real obedience to Jesus. And do you serve, not making it about yourself, but willing to do the jobs that get no credit, willing to serve when no one sees, or willing to serve even if people treat you badly as you do it? And if God has given you a heart for serving like this, with humility, with gentleness, with courage, 
with a focus on building people up, with a readiness to call out pretensions, with your eyes on Jesus, not on yourself, then can you serve like that more? Because this is what our world needs. This is what our church needs. We need leaders like this, not leaders that are impressive in the world's eyes or impressive in their own eyes. But we need leaders who are shaped by Jesus in how we approach serving. Let me pray for us. Father, we constantly, always stand in awe of Jesus and who he is. The eternal creator and yet the one who stooped to become even a part of his creation. To serve us. To lift us up. To die in our place. Lord, your humility, your gentleness, your boldness to overcome our sin in order to bring us into eternal life with you is is life-changing, not just now, but for all eternity. But Lord, we pray that you would change us now, that as your Spirit works in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that you would make us like Jesus, that we would serve not to be impressive, to ourselves or to others, but that we would serve with that same heart, that same character as Jesus, our servant King. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.